Great. So we actually um, had a Zoom call. It was on Wednesday night um, where we caught up together. Um, this is John, John um, Donna and Johnny Ewan. And um, we were just remembering, you know, how do we meet? How do we? It was actually around 2000 um, that Johnny and I moved up to, to Nottingham. Um, at that time, Johnny Ewan had long hair. Um, I had some hair. And uh, we met, um, we were, we were, we met through sport, really. Johnny is a footballer by background. I was playing rugby. Um, and so that's, that's where we met. And from there, we ended up um, a few years later um, in small group, or some may call it life group, home group, with um, John and Donna. So we were just talking about that and how amazing it was that even back then, we, um, God knew that we would be here together doing this um, seminar on compassion. Um, I'll explain a little bit about the background in a moment, but why don't we meet uh, each of us. So John, John, I've known for some time. John is a lawyer by background, um, and now he is um, the pastor of Justice and Compassion at Trent. And um, well, John, I, in fact, why don't you share? There's, there's a story that John has told me recently that made me smile. Why don't you um, share, share that? That'll be lovely. Okay. So, um, so when Josh and Katie, when they were uh, planning to go and plant um, in Oxford, um, Josh uh, asked if he could meet for lunch um, one day. So we met, we met for lunch in a cafe, and we were sat. and um, And then Josh said, "Actually, there was something I wanted to ask you." And um, he said, "We're actually looking for trustees for our, um, for, the, for you know, for Hope Vineyard." And we were just wondering. So I was sat there thinking, I just, I just stepped down from being a trustee with another charity, and so I thought, well, it makes sense, you know, that what he's about to ask me. And um, the next thing Johnny, uh, uh, Josh said was, we were just wondering, and he said it a couple of times, and he said, well, we're just wondering, do you think Donna would consider being a, a trustee of Hope Vineyard? And so I just kept a straight face, and I said, I said yeah, yeah, I thought she would, but maybe ask Donna. And um, I didn't tell him that, that um, he just didn't realise the uh, sort of response I got. But anyway, it, it, it um, pierced my pride um, greatly when he... When he <laughs> So the comic timing was brilliant, even though he didn't realise he had comic timing at that point. So that was... Thanks, John. Um, why don't we meet Donna? Donna um, is um, obviously a trustee of Hope Vineyard and um, incredible person. I could say so many wonderful things about Donna. Um, her smile lights up the room uh, <laughs> when you meet her. And, um, and equally, her, if, if her stare and her scowl can stop you in your tracks. So in terms of, um, in terms of her background, I'll explain a little bit more. She's a social worker, counsellor, um, qualified in both and a, and a chaplain in a hospital. Um, she's got incredible discernment. We, Katie and I, would trust Donna with um, our lives, and that's why she's a trustee. Great in the meetings to be able to. So it sounds like John wouldn't. It sounds like we couldn't trust him. <laughs> oh. Anyway, no, no, we could trust both of them. That's quite an I trust John. Only joking. I'm just rubbing it in again, aren't I? I can see it's going. Keep, again. keep going, keep going, Josh. We've got an hour. Right, so that, that's Donna. So welcome, Donna. Thanks so much, you two, for being on panel today. Johnny Ewan. Absolute legend. Um, Johnny is, I should start by saying 100% English, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the most Northern Irish Englishman you'll ever meet. So um, an absolute honour to have you with us today, Johnny. Um, do you know what? 
there's three words I always associate with you, Johnny, um, that have come from the football pitch um, and um, a certain time. Do you, do, do you recognize what they might be when I think of you and smile? Yeah, I know exactly what they'll be. Probably uh, I am livid or something in that kind of direction. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to find out um, more about that story, ask Johnny later. It's a classic. Um, so welcome, Johnny. Johnny, just want to take a moment to honour you. You have worked tirelessly um, and put your heart and soul into working with young people for over 20 years. Um, and, um, you know, I've got a lot of love for you. I've seen some names I recognise. These people, I guess they'll probably put it in the chat, um, just to say we have love for you, Johnny. I want to honour um, how you've given yourself. Um, in the lives of young people. In terms of how this seminar came together, I'll let John explain a bit more about that in a moment. Um, but it leaves me to introduce Katie. Um, incredible wife, Katie. Um, why do I have to look at my notes to talk about my wife? It's not good, is it? <laughs> but um, Katie is incredible. Like Donna, she's um, a counsellor, social worker. She's currently working for a charity called Vegans, and um, they're an incredible charity and um, they work with the mental health and well-being of young people. In terms of um, Katie, she is a brilliant woman. Um, her name means pure. She is incredible. She's got great authority. I guess authority over a number of things, probably including things like my hair and what I wear as well. But um, she's got real big spiritual authority. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that, that um, we have going on. We talk about our kids. We've got three kids. They're a blessing. And when they're a blessing, they really are a blessing. At times, I do wonder about that. Um, but when, when I'm wondering about it, I was just reflecting um, that, in fact, they're still a blessing at the times when I may even think they're a curse because they teach me what it means to be a father. They teach me what it means to, to have a heart of, of God and how God responds to us. And they've taught me about what it means to have compassion and for children and so um, I've got so much to thank them for and that's um, what we'll be talking about today. So Johnny would you start by praying and um, we'll take things from there. Thanks Johnny. Yeah I'd love to. God you're always with us and I just thank you for that and God you're just present here but we just we tip our hat to you this afternoon we just recognize your presence here in our rooms um, and it's popping. And God, as we talk about compassion and justice, I pray you just stir our hearts. You just speak to us and you just awaken something. You would just uh, bring, just trigger stuff. Lord, that this would be a catalyst for what you want to do right across the country and um, right across different uh, nations represented here. And so God, just come and speak to us. And I ask you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Johnny. Thank you. Just to say, and if you admin things, um, there's a chat going on. If you have questions as we're going through, please put them on the chat. Mm -hmm. Katie is incredibly going to be writing things down, um, which means that she can't speak so much as she's writing. But um, we worked out that was probably going to be the best way of doing things today. Um, like you said, you'll see a pin message. Thanks, Jess Munson. Um, that is how you get to the handout. There are a few pictures in there and some useful links. So do have a look at the handout. Okay. Thank you. Right, hopefully that will make a little difference. Can anyone hear a difference? Give me a shout in the chat if we're getting an echo. That would be really thanks. Thanks, Malcolm, for letting us know. That would have happened the whole session. 
Um, and if you haven't had, um, a, we don't get a chance to answer your questions, um, let's have this as a conversation. Um, it may be a friend that you want to talk to um, about, about what the things that are asked. Um, it may be that you have a chat with um, one of the people in church or, your, or the church leader um, if you're part of a church. So, um, so do feel free to, to do that too. So um, John and Donna and Johnny will um, drop out um, for a moment, but they'll be welcomed back when they're, when they're going to share some, some stuff. So to give some context um, to today, so I'm Josh. Um, some of you who I know may think, oh, that's Josh. Um, he used to play rugby. That is true. Um, I'm a physio as well. Um, and um, it was interesting when I stopped playing rugby in 2009, it was like, what's next? And in fact, um, John Bernicarling, um, who you just saw, he invited me to be part of a small group team. And this small group team was um, one that was at Trent Vineyard in Nottingham. And he'd just to give some context of how that happened. Um, my history is um, my parents, they were in Kenya and they were um, teaching young um, church leaders about um, leading churches and about the Bible. They worked in the Bible college for 10 years. And so that was the context in which I was brought up. And when they moved back to England, to Bristol, um, I went to, to school. And during that time, they, were, they led a church. And so there was one thing growing up that I knew I didn't want to do, and that was to be anything associated with being a church leader. And the reason for that was because I had a spirituality kind of um, complex. I felt this inferiority. I was like, I cannot be trusted, given that I know myself so well. I know um, my lusts for women, for um, cars, for popularity, the things that I've got. I would never want to place myself in a position of trust because I might fall. And so I had this complex. So when John asked me about joining a small group team, there was that going on. And I really want to rush away from it. But it was just a little something that, you know, I saw um, because one of the things that I've um, I found that I love is strategy. And um, it's the flip side of. So I, I um, was diagnosed with dyslexia when I was young. And um, it's a flip side of that. A number of people with dyslexia do have a gift for strategy. And I could see that strategy could be useful in the small group team. So I said yes tentatively, and um, that's, that's why um, I was on that team. Seven years later, 2016, I was still on that team. I was still working four days a week as a physio, a day a week at um, Trent Vineyard. Um, I had, I was, so that was split with studying theology at a local um, Bible college. And um, things on the outside probably looked pretty similar. But on the inside, there was a, a, a kind of growing sense of frustration because things were the same. And um, we'd sensed for a long time that um, there was going to be change, but nothing had changed. In fact, um, there were some research opportunities that came up with my physio. The door was slammed closed on both on, on those um, opportunities, which was somewhat surprising in some ways because it, it seemed like a really good thing. Again, at Trent, there were opportunities that came up, but they didn't come my way. Um, which was absolutely God's thing. And I, we just trusted God in that time. But it was in that place of frustration um, of what is next that I, for a long time, I'd, you know, I don't like new things. I don't like moving. I don't like, but, you know, that brought me to a place of saying, Lord, if church planting is something to explore, I'm willing. So in 2016, we went to Oxford um, just to explore the city. And um, when we were visiting, I had this eureka moment. Um, 
there was a verse that was drawn to my attention in the Bible. It's this. It's from Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. And, and, and this is the words of God through Isaiah, the prophet's mouth. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God was at work and I was being invited to join in with God. I had an inferiority complex. I was a modern day Gideon. I was dyslexic. I've been fostered. I was then adopted. Growing up, I grew up in Kenya in the 80s. You know, I was known by others as being half caste. And then, you know, I was half white. I moved to England and I suddenly was called black. I opened my mouth and my accent was posher than people expected it to me. I didn't quite know my place. I kind of, I, inside, internally, I, was, I would shy away. So in terms of Gideon, I was spiritually a coward. But God said, no, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to be a mighty warrior. And I'm calling you to be a mighty warrior because you are a mighty warrior. And what changed in that moment when I read that verse was I realized I'm a mighty warrior not because of me, but because of my God. We were commissioned from Trent Vineyard and um, John Wright gave us this verse. It says this, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. It wasn't about us. It was about what God is doing. God was doing the heavy lifting and it's about joining in with him. So today we're going to share stories that we're joining in with what God is doing outside of the church. You may have seen the, um, what, what we've um, shared in the blurb. 2020 has really been proof of that. You know, in the wake of the death of George Floyd, statistically, it's just another death following the, the trend of American police brutality. But the reality has been that there's been a huge upsurge in, 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 um, in an emotional, compassionate response that's been stirred up within us to stand up and, against this injustice and make a difference. In the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, Oxford has taken its place in standing among the global task force in creating a vaccine. We hope it's going to bring life. Again, in the backdrop of isolation, we've seen people who've stepped up selfless generosity. It's happened time and time again. We've seen responses to child food poverty. In the wake of the climate crisis, a number of organisations have risen up. Extinction Rebellion is one of them. And many more have taken steps, as we have in our family, to address the way we consume things that, that hurt the environment. These are global, compassionate responses, gut-felt urges that have caused us to change. It's moved a weary world into action. So who better than my good friend, John Bernard Carling, um, to explain a little bit more about the roots of injustice. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Jim. So this is going to be a, a, a whistle-stop tour. Um, but uh, just to uh, give some context, Donna and I, we've been part of Vineyard now for about 26 years, uh, originally London and then moving up to Nottingham. And um, a core reason why we stayed in the Vineyard, as well as the welcome that we received in the community, was because of the stated values. as as, And in particular, one of those being phrase remember the poor that many of us are familiar with and um, others of us will also be familiar 
vineyard person, which, which is a description of what the vineyard looks like. And the legs of, of the vineyard person are compassion and worship. So generosity and compassion towards the poor, to those in need, are, are at the heart of who we are as a community, as, as a movement. And I think increasingly God is showing us that our access and compassion need to be born out of his very nature, his heart for justice. And his response whenever he sees a person being mistreated, a person suffering. And so throughout scripture, and we continue, continue to see on the one hand, God's heart towards the suffering on the, on the marginalised. And then on the other, his reacting when his people fail to care and speak up for those in need. And so as we read the Bible time and time again, we read of God's particular concern for um, what the writer Nicholas Walterstorff um, refers to as the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the widow the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And also we see God's response when his, when his people in particular don't share his particular concern. And so the calling on us as followers of Jesus as the church is one of both heart and action. But that our acts of compassion, of seeking justice, are born out of God's very heart that is broken. You know, when he sees men and women and children today in our nation and in our world who don't have a home. When he sees people in our towns and our cities tonight, there are people on our streets maybe who will make a choice between whether they eat or whether they have heat. When he sees refugees and immigrants, instead of being welcomed with hands of friendship, they're treated suspicion and often cruelty. And his heart that broke as he saw George Floyd, his creation, his image bearer brutally murdered on the 25th of May last year. She's in, in this context, in the harsh and painful realities of our world, that the words of the prophet Micah speak into and remind us our calling to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. We may find ourselves today asking, you know, what does that look like in practice? You know, in 2021, in my church, in my street, what does it look like? You know, what does my call to the quartet of the, the vulnerable look like? And personally, I find um, the way that Tim Keller approaches this really helpful. And he describes God's, God's character as being a character of justice. And he talks um, of three key ways that the biblical view of justice it's not a complete list, but it, it, it's, a, it's a helpful start. And so when we look through the, the scriptures, there are three facets of biblical justice that we might reflect on. And the first is the one that probably for us in the vineyard, we um, connect with maybe most easily. And that's the one of generosity, of radical generosity. Um, it's the way we tend most to express um, our expression of uh, the words, remember the poor. But for us to really get that call to generosity, we need to get the other facet of biblical justice. So a second facet of biblical justice is one that we heard Joe Saxton speak into yesterday. Equal treatment for all. The reality that every person of every race, every nationality, every culture is a person made in God's image. And when a person is mistreated on the basis of their their race, their nationality, their culture, and affront the God. 
and going way back into scripture, all the way back to Levit Leviticus, um, God has a particular heart for the person on the outside. Um, in, in Leviticus 24, 22, it says, um, challenging us not, um, to, to um, have laws that, that are equal for the, uh, the outside, the one person from our own country and people from other countries. So biblical justice it incorporates radical generosity, it incorporates equal treatment for all, but thirdly, it incorporates this special concern, that concern that I described earlier of the, the quartet uh, of, of the vulnerable. We're called to have a special concern. See, in some ways, we, we talk about God not having favourites, but in some ways that's not true. God does have a particular love and a particular bias the quartet of the vulnerable and so in proverbs 31 8 we're called and we're obligated to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves we're called to operate out of that same special concern both through acts of compassion also through advocacy. god's invitation to us is as individuals and church communities to express our worship through radical generosity through equal treatment for all and through special concern for the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And the other day, Josh and I, we were talking about seminar, and we were talking about stories of what's been happening um, in the last year, and particularly in terms of the focus of this, this seminar, the way we're connecting with our communities beyond our churches. And, um, and many of the st stories naturally fitted into these, these three facets radical generosity, equal treatment for all, and special concern for the quartet of the vulnerable. And so we're just gonna um, share some stories now. So um, uh, I'm just gonna hand back to, to Josh, and he's gonna, um, gonna share, they're gonna, Josh and Kate, they're gonna be sharing about things that are happening, um, have been happening in Oxford from the perspective of generosity. Thanks, John. So in the notes there, I'm not quite sure if someone can pin that message just in terms of the radical generosity of those that, that John mentioned. In terms of what we're gonna share, we're gonna share some stories of generosity that we've seen from outside of um, the, the community of hope and one from inside the community of hope. So in 2018, um, it was six months into us moving from Oxford we'd know where to run our Mother's Day event. We'd, um, I was going past the local shopping center and I was just like, maybe that's a place to go. And I went in, met a security guard and he took me straight to the management after hearing what we wanted to do. And um, they heard the vision, incredibly. They said, yes, have a stall space, have it for free. So this shopping center, it's in the heart of our community. We found ourselves returning again and again to do pop-up stalls from kids crafts to doing um, Christmas wrapping paper events and also a mental health awareness day. We were invited with Katie's expertise to come and um, participate in that. We'd even, um, after a year or so, started doing a monthly toddler group in the middle of a shopping center. Our most regular attender is a dad called Harry. In fact, if you look at the handout that's pinned there, you'll see a little picture of him. And um, we've had permission from all the people to share these stories, but he's our most regular attender. We met at an Easter egg hunt that we did in a local park. And since then, we've become friends. He's been part of what we something we do, used to do before lockdown called Sunday Club. 
and recently he's been on an alpha course and he's enjoyed exploring a new thing for him, which is prayer. Cutting a long story short in terms of how we ended up in the middle of a shopping centre, um, there are so many God instances where we had incredible timing of conversations, um, but we discovered that there was a scheme called the Vacant Spaces Programme. What it means is that charities can apply to have a unit in a space that's empty and you have it pretty much for free. Um, and in April this year, that's, that's, I had an email back um, to say there was a unit available. Um, and, and the email said, by sheer luck, a unit with perfect condition is available. From our perspective, we had a look and this was the one we've been praying over. And um, we had no doubt that the by sheer luck was an answer to our prayers. And we signed the lease on the place. So to summarize, we've been given this huge gift, this gift of a space from the shopping center, and we're going to use it for people outside of the church. We experienced generosity of this scheme, um, and it wasn't from, from anything, anywhere that we expected, um, but it's definitely a way that we can use um, something um, for the good of the community. So if you're looking at, this, at the um, handout, you'll see the next, next picture. Um, a, a, Lower down in the handout, you'll see all information about the Vacant Spaces program and a link to another um, PDF that shows how, if, if that's of interest to you, um, you can you can see um, there. So, in terms of the next thing I wanted to talk about was food boxes. Now, the school that our children go to is a amazing school. They've got an incredible team of teachers and an incredible head as well. They were determined to do more than what they had through the food voucher scheme. And so what they did was they created boxes uh, which had enough food for a family of four to feed them for a week. So the problem they had was they didn't have enough money. <clears throat> they believed that they were generous people in the community who would want to give to this, but they didn't have a way in lockdown of collecting any money. So enter Ruth Gardner. Ruth Gardner's our lodger. She's an incredible, incredible woman. Um, but one of the things that she does is she handles the finances at Hope. She knows about Church Suite and Zero. There's a database and accounting software, and she knows all about reconciliation. And that's the kind of um, accounting reconciliation. Not, not she knows <laughs> not, Jesus. Not relational reconciliation. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what happened was we partnered with this school. We ended up taking the, the the money for this project, and because of our humble friends' contribution. The community engaged amazingly. They gave £27,000 in five months to feed those in need. This that was during lockdown. So these were families that, um, yeah, so these children would have had free school meals normally. They were now at home for months on end. Um, so that's why the food boxes began. And um, what, it, what was left over was, was a significant proportion of money which was given to a child to, to help them set up an action larder um, an action pantry um, within the area. Do you want to share about? Yeah, okay, so just another kind of little exciting story for us about um, generosity. Um, Josh has shared a couple of examples of how we've been on the receiving end um, of generosity actually from those outside of our church community and maybe outside of any church community, those who may not say they follow Jesus or, or even know much about Jesus. Um, so this is just a story about kind of generosity within Hope Vineyard, within our church. Um, so July 2020, so not that long ago, we decided we'd been given this amazing free, essentially vacant uh, retail unit in our local shopping centre. Our local shopping centre um, serves probably the poorest parts of Oxford. So there's a big, quite expensive, nice new 
um, shiny shopping centre in the city centre, but actually a lot of the people from the poorer parts of predominantly East Oxford don't travel into the city centre much. They come to Templar Square um, and do their shopping there. So it was just the most incredible location for us to be as a church and an incredible location to start Compassion Ministries and to serve, to serve the city of Oxford. So uh, we needed to raise some money to make this unit wonderful, to make it look pretty, to um, make it uh, in working order to launch various um, compassion ministries, including something we wanted to start called Small Steps, which Josh is going to share a bit more about in a few moments. So we needed to raise some funds. So um, we made a kind of bit of a rough estimate, I would say. I'm sure Josh did a bit more thinking about it than me because he's much better with money. And we kind of came up with the figure of £15,000 that we thought would get um, some, would get small steps off to, uh, we'll get that started with some capital expenditure for that, as well as paint and other things we needed um, for the unit. Um, so early in uh, July, still lockdown was going on. We presented this to our church. We're a small church plant. Um, so there aren't loads of us. £15,000 felt like quite a lot of money um, for us as a church. And so we presented that. We were talking to a screen a bit like we're doing now. So we couldn't see people's responded. We did how they was, were responding. We just shared passionately from our hearts what we felt God was saying to us and uh, what he wanted to do. And then two weeks later, we asked people to, having prayed about it, give. Um, and then a few days after that, the, the final amount was totted up. And when we said this £15,000, we um, committed 100% to giving whatever came in, 10% of it away um, to our friend in India, to Kat and Mary, who run Love the One Charity, serving some of the poorest people on earth, like children, widows and orphans um, that John was talking about um, in India. So we committed to doing that because we just trust and believe that God will give us as a church whatever we need. So um, the money came in and we were just so delighted and stunned that £16,646 and the all-important 25 pence were given. And for those that have got a quick mathematical brain, which certainly isn't me, uh, you may be able to figure out that if you take off the 10% of that sum, which we were going to give to Love the One charity, that, that left us with £14,982, which is £18 shy of the £15,000 target that we had set. So uh, we were just delighted by that and just, um, yeah, just a wonderful example of people's compassion within our church community. So because of time, I'm going to brush over one of the stories, which is um, a story of incredible generosity um, through a Salvation Army Christmas present appeal where thousands of presents were given, um, representing literally thousands of families that will receive or received Christmas gifts because we decided or, or you know, we said yes to um, the Salvation Army to use the space that we have and do the appeal from there. There was a lovely touching email that we had that basically said because of that generosity, this could happen. But we're, it's, it's something we receive freely and we're wanting to use it. So just to give some context, small steps is something we're really excited about. That is a closing equipment bank for noughts um, to tens. Um, we planted from, Hope, uh, from Trent Vineyard in Nottingham and we'd served in a number of different roles in the Compassion Projects there. And we wanted to find a way in, in Oxford. There was a furniture store um, and they, they um, support um, those, that, their strapline is basically to end homelessness in Oxford. There were food banks, but from what we could see, there wasn't a clothes and equipment bank. In fact, we were all set to launch it um, in October um, of last year. And two weeks before we found out about an actual Oxford baby bank, 
and we were like, ah, oh. so we were, we got in touch with them. We found out a little bit more from them. And um, it was an amazing experience because we delayed things, which meant that we could find out that there was a real need for a charity shop that um, supplied clothes for that age groups as well. And so what we did was we have started that in December, the charity shop side of things, in order to fund the referrals to meet the needs of those that have nothing. And so it, 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 having that conversation and just listening to what was happening on the ground gave us a, a, a different direction um, to go in with that. I wanted to tell you a personal story of a, a, a new friend I've made called Shane. Shane is six foot four. He's a goalkeeper. He's from the Swindon area. Um, he was telling me on Wednesday about the time that he met Gareth Bale. I've not told my kids yet. One of them's a Tottenham supporter. In fact, um, Johnny is as well. But he was the first customer in our shop. The week after, following an invite, he came to a Sunday, um, what we were doing on Sunday, which was a Christmas celebration with his son. A couple of weeks later, after the new year, he started volunteering and he's here with us each week on a Wednesday. In fact, yeah, on last Wednesday, he said, Josh, can I come in on Thursday as well to spend two hours there? It's an incredible story. Um, the reason it's incredible is because he has a heart like God's. He's caught something of the vision of God that's been placed in us. He may not be rich materially, but he's loaded with compassion. He's not employed, but he's got so much to give. You know, he sent me a text yesterday and it said this, Josh, we have some toys and clothes, mainly school clothes, would, would like to donate them. Would you accept it? Tell me the heart of compassion isn't written on his heart. In my eyes, this, this man is, is familiar with a heart and obedient to what he knows of God's kingdom, but he doesn't yet know God by name. It's happening outside the church, totally independent of us, but we've met him because we said our yes to God in setting up small steps. This is humbling, that literally thousands of people are responding to, 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 to different um, offers and invitations to get involved. So what we're gonna do is hear a little bit from Nottingham. Our friends John and Donna have had stories of what God has been doing in their community in terms of what Keller calls equal treatment. Thanks, John and Donna. They will be back with us now, and then we'll leave the screen. Thank you. Thank you. So we just want to share um, just a couple of stories, but and very much on, on this theme of our connection with those outside the church and the things that people are doing both outside and inside the church. Just want to just talk very briefly about our connection with Nottingham Citizens. So Nottingham Citizens is, is a local chapter of what's called UK, which is basically a community organising organisation that brings people from um, civic institutions, faith, non institutions together to um, pursue and um, champion justice um, in our in our communities. And so, Nottingham uh, Trent Vineyard, we've been part of Nottingham Citizens for for many years, and we're engaged in all sorts of different ways. Um, one thing, just a couple of things in particular that happened this summer was, was following the, the death of um, George Floyd. Um, and we as a church, we were thinking, what, you know, what can we do in, in a couple of weeks afterwards? There, was, there were different things that were going on, but one of the things we wanted to do was to bring people together in some way. And so what we did is we, um, we arranged um, an evening two weeks um, after the um, death of George Floyd, and uh, we invited people to 
to, we were obviously socially distanced at the time, but basically what we did is we invited people from churches and um, people beyond the church. So through Nottingham Citizens, we got it out into the, the community to say, we all wanted to come together two weeks after, two weeks almost symbolically, at the same time, two weeks after George Floyd was killed um, as an act of sol solidarity um, and to make a pledge um, and uh, to f for us to reflect and to speak out f against injustice together. And so we were able to reach out through Nottingham citizens to do that, so that people from other faith communities, people from of no faith, were able to come and light a candle and reflect together as, as one city um, coming together. Um, and so Donna's just going to share about another um, uh, event that happened where actually it was Nottingham citizens who, who organised something and we as part of faith communities were inv invited into in August. Yes, so um, I just wanted to give a bit of background about myself um, but also to say I just thought as John was speaking that the event that we invited people within our church, churches in general in the area or more widely afield as well. Um, we also invited people on the road that we live to join in that event. So we had people who wouldn't describe themselves as having any faith or even any connection with anything that we were doing, just lighting a candle and reflecting on what had happened and um, the racial injustice in the world. So it was just a simple way of including people in that example. So I'm from Nottingham, born here, brought up here. Um, my parents arrived from the Caribbean in the late 50s, early 60s, and there was a race riot in Nottingham in August 1958, so they came just after that. But there was obviously all those t tensions around as they arrived and as I was growing up. Um, and the event that I wanted to talk about was a public action event that was organised by Nottingham citizens. And they invited people to just join together in August last year to remember what had happened, to remember the fact that there had been this racial tension and um, this riot back in 1958, which was a precursor then to the riot that rioting that took place in Notting Hill also in the same year. And what they asked us to do was it was a call to remember what had happened and so they had different people speaking some of faith some um, not there because of their faith but having something really important to say and the actions they were wanting us to look at were the police or the institutions and education so they had someone talking about their relative that had also um, been murdered and um, suffered brutally at the hands of the police and we had the police crime commissioner there and the chief constable who also heard that um, witness to what had happened. We also had a call to look at our current circumstance so this remember was people from within churches but also people from within institutions and other communities groups within Nottingham and that was a young black male teacher speaking and talking about when he became a teacher, he felt that he was probably the only one within Nottingham who was um, of his ethnic origin, who was a teacher, and the importance of having that role model. And um, I remembered when I was growing up, I had one teacher who was um, of Black Caribbean origin, and she was 
I just remember how significant she was because it was somebody that looked like me. She was a woman, someone that I thought, oh, so this is something that potentially is possible because there's someone that looks like me doing this. Um, there was also a call within this to look to the future and they had young people speaking and speaking about the impact within their colleges, within their school settings of what it was like to be um, from different ethnic and cultural and religious backgrounds, but also a real call to remember that the future isn't waiting. It is happening now and that people need to join in together. And one of them said really powerfully, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And so if you can't see people that look like you on stages, um, doing different things within public life, within communities, then you'll assume it can't happen for you because there's no one like you doing that. And that was just a really powerful thing for us. So we in the church were invited to join in with something that was happening within our area, within our city. And it was really important, I think, that we did step up and we were included in that. So other people came from our churches, but also we stood alongside people from education. We stood alongside people from um, the police. And we said together that we are making um, a commitment to something that is going to change society. And I think as Christians, it's really important that we are in those settings because we are called to be the salt and light of Jesus. We are called to represent Christ. And if we're not there, then his representation is also not there. So I'm going to hand on to, as in we are going to hand on to Johnny now, who will lead us through the next part of the session. Well, thanks, John and Donna. Um, stories are amazing, aren't they? They just uh, paint pictures um, and they also just enable faith and hopefully build faith. And I've just got a very quick, brief um, story really around special concern and around young people. And isn't it amazing that compassion and justice it can find us or lead us into uh, some of the strangest places? And recently, during a slight easing of lockdown, we were able to meet our young people in person, obviously socially distanced, but in smaller groups. And so we broke them up into little pods of five or six. And um, I, I worked with this little group on a Thursday night and we'd invited them to come to this little upstairs room, which is really basic and kind of quite a rundown church with, with lots of damp. And, but that's another story. But we had this little room and we invited them, them up and it was a very simple um, format that we had where basically they would come, we would get some food and we would have a discussion and then we would play Among Us. Now, if you don't want to, what Among Us is, you can look that up on the internet. It's a game amongst young people on their phone, a little bit like mafia. Um, and basically we would have a subject and then they would, uh, we put lots of different subjects in a jar and they would pick them out and discuss. And this week, um, the topic happened to be uh, disability awareness. And we had a whole discussion on uh, this. But actually what transpired is that these guys that we work with, um, we started talking and one of the questions that came out was about disability and is it always seen or is it unseen? And, and from that discussion, men, um, all of the guys actually in the group um, started to talk about school and some of the different needs and difficulties that they've had. And most of them in the room have either struggled to get their English or maths or both. And for many of them, they still haven't got that. And it was really difficult. 
and I happen to pipe up just at the wrong time and say, but guys, I've got my maths in English. And one of our young persons who is very sharp and clever in his own way uh, kind of chirped up and said, yes, Johnny, but you're sitting here with us. And uh, I think he didn't quite say this, but I think what he was uh, referring to is, yeah, but you're here with us, bunch of retrobates. Not that he said that, um, but it was kind of that idea. And I, I think he... Um, <laughs> What he was inferring to basically was, Johnny, I'm not sure if you've amounted to much if you're here, nearly 40, sitting with us in this little upper room with a bunch of 17, 18 and 19 year olds. Now, I don't think he was trying to insult me, but what he didn't realise was that I was right where I was meant to be with these six or seven young people just discussing and chatting about their experiences, their difficulties in school, how they felt they'd been treated unfairly, how they'd really struggled. And isn't it interesting that sometimes compassion and justice aren't what others expect, but it's exactly where God would have you. And you find yourself in these strange places exactly where God would have you. And it's a little bit, I think Josh said to a little bit early, earlier, but it's when we make ourselves available to God and when it, those opportunities come up and we say yes to God, that things start to happen. So that's my little story. I think I'm going to hand back to Josh and Katie and to kind of direct us further. I'm aware, very aware of time. There's something that's been incredible that's been happening recently. In fact, I've just looked at my phone and have an, I've had an email. I wonder if um, you'd pray about this new opportunity with us. Um, Laura, if you're there, would you be able to sh share the link to the video? Because I'm afraid we won't be able to share it, but if you could share the link to the video that's on, on YouTube, that will give people a perspective of what's happening. Laura is our new friend. Um, we met through Small Steps, and she is a woman who's incredibly um, passionate about compassion. And she's taught me so much in the little time I, I've known her. Another example of, of God's, I guess, heart of compassion being within the hearts of, of those around us. You know what, we're a three-year-old church plant. Maybe we've got 20 or 30 regular people that are coming um, and um, 40 or so kids. And God's used um, that to bless thousands. Jesus seems to have... Uh, a, a habit of engaging the outsider. It's my story too. The disciples were from unexpected backgrounds, uneducated fishermen, tax collectors. The Magi, they came from far off lands. Last words of Jesus to um, his apprentices, we were reminded this morning by Alexander Venter, extends to the end of the earth. God is at work everywhere. And in our past, we found that we would separate telling people about Jesus from the things we do, like compassionate acts or acts of kindness. You know, if you want to know about Jesus, come and find out here on a Sunday. Or if you want to make a difference, we're doing this event you can get involved in, in making a difference. But we're finding that as we involve people in walking with us in compassionate lives, that there's an increasing openness for people to explore um, opportunities to discover Jesus. There's um, Mark Sayers, who does podcasts, talks about the kingdom and people wanting the kingdom without the king. Yet the people we make have met are we're discovering that when they discover Jesus they discover an image of the king that's different to the one they expected his compassion his humility his teachings of simplicity based on equality on justice on authenticity on forgiveness on thankfulness on self-sacrifice on generosity 
And they may find themselves in that situation where they're asking, where does my compassion come from? Why does it align with what I see in these other people? Do they follow a king that I want to get to know? And we're so open to journeying with them. I wanted to call this seminar Compassion, not just a vineyard distinctive, but I thought it might be misunderstood because we are a people of compassion in the vineyard and it drew us to this movement of churches. But we don't have a monopoly over this. God is compassionate. As John was saying, it comes from God's heart for justice. He's placed it in our DNA. We're made in his image. And let's not be intimidated when we see compassion projects outside of the, the church, which are, are not part of what we're doing. We can partner with this. We can partner with this. And that's what we want to do. Be open to partner with what God's doing and discover, and which we have to our delight, how God is drawing people towards himself through their response to all these things outside um, in the community as we look back on 2020 and step into 2021 in this time of crisis. Fantastic. So um, Laura, I've just seen your, your comment. Thank you so much. Um, so it's in, oh, that's fantastic. What I'll do is I'll have a look. Um, if you've got um, questions, Jess, you've talked about the idea of creating um, a culture of compassion. The other um, in the panel will join me um, and Katie's gonna help um, share this bit while I look for this, um, <coughs> this link to share this fantastic video. Yes, yeah, so um, there's a couple of questions. I think Donna might have responded when someone's asking about Christian advocacy charity um, for somebody who's wanting to try and apply to asylum. Um, so I think Donna, did you? Sorry, it was me. Yeah, it was me. Oh, you, I think, but yeah, right, yeah. I'll give my email to me next week. Yeah. Fantastic. Yes, it sounds like John may be able to point you in the right direction. Another question for you, Johnny. Um, about your story about engaging these wonderful young people in quite difficult discussions and I think the question is around like how do you do that like how do you I mean it's obviously a big question we won't have time to answer it all now but like how do you get those kind of discussions going yeah I can, if, you, if there's time I can just answer it very quickly or if it's yes are you happy with that um yeah yeah go for it I was typing in there but it disappeared um Susan thank you yeah like to be honest this group have I've been working with them for three or four years and if you had asked me that I would have been able to have discussions like this with this group I wouldn't have believed you and so I think just for me showing up consistently week in week out um, and listening to them has just over time built that opportunity and then we just tried a few little practical use tools like we said, guys, why don't we write down loads of different subjects that we are interested in and we think about and that are in the in the news or that you're struggling with, put them in a pot and pick them out. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of basic answer to your question. Great, yeah, but I'm sure, I think your email, Johnny, might come up. Yeah, um, it should be in the app, like it's uh, I'll type it in the box as well. One last question about how do you always create a culture of um, compassion that's decentralised where um, like smaller groups, your small groups in church or friends and families can almost own a compassion project um, and run with it rather than it being the church as a whole having to kind of set up a compassion ministry. I think that's a fantastic question. Does anyone want to share their thoughts about that in a, in a minute? <laughs> I, th I think in any sense, it's a question of actually one should be born out of the other. But 
because I think we can think of oh we need to set up a ministry and actually it's they're born out of the way we're living and then it, it there's a print the principle of let the bush grow and um as we reach out to our neighbors it's the act of individual reaching out that leads to then a corporate and for us not to be overly concerned about whether we have a named ministry um the named ministries come but they're not they're not the goal that's allowed here's something about when you you see a need then you gather people around you that might be able to help you meet that need and go from there so you don't need it to be something that the church has to initiate first but if i see my neighbor needs some work in their garden I can gather people in my small group to help me in the garden. Or if I need to know someone who is struggling because they can't afford to decorate a room and they've got a baby coming or something like that, then I can be the one that can say, do you want to help me meet that need and, and take it from there? That's amazing, before we stop, we might get cut off in a minute, around um, how I guess we teach and how we empower and how we communicate that this is all member ministry, whatever you want to call it. You know, everyone gets to play the vineyard, John Winderberg, one of his favourite sayings, um, that actually this isn't something that the church does or the leaders put on, and that actually everybody gets to play, everyone gets to be compassionate, and that this is just who we are, this is just our identity, and we do that in the small things, um, and then we come together sometimes in the bigger things. Um, so there's some thoughts on that. But yeah, do get in touch with any of us um, over email if you want to quiz us more or ask more or discuss more. And we'd be delighted to do that. And um, we know we've just kind of scratched the surface of a huge topic. Um, so yeah, Josh, did you want to say anything? Just to say thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, our privilege to share. Um, it's, it's to do with what, what we believe God is doing. Um, and so it's been our privilege to share that with you today. Um, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that, um, that as people are here with us today, that you would just show us where it is you're leading us. Would we see what you're pointing out for us to do? Lord, we, we want to do what we see you doing. We don't want to do everything you're doing. We want to do what we see you doing. Lord, so we don't get overwhelmed. We want to do what we see you doing. And so show us what it is you want us to do. Lord, that we and the people around us can, can take those opportunities that you're giving us. Thank you for today. Thank you for everything that we've been able to share. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Um, it leaves it for us just to simply leave the seminar. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to look back um, through the chat. And if there are things that you want to respond to us, the emails are in the um, handout. That's hopeoxford.org slash jjj. That's Josh and Katie, John and Donna, and Johnny Ewan. So, um, so yeah, God bless you and thank you. <laughs> love you lots. It's been great to be with you together. Thanks for coming.